5, we're going to begin in verse 14. So whether you have a Bible or a device or be on the screen, I think, behind me, I want to read that together. This, these will be the most important words that you hear in my message this morning, so listen closely. This is God's Word. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God has reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. For God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, my name is Scott Puckett. I am the new Engaging the World pastor here, and uh, it was a privilege to be here for the last few months. Now, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm looking forward to having a chance to do that in person very soon. And I wanted to actually introduce you to my family. So I think we have a picture on the screen behind us. This was taken last week. Um, just a candid shot there with everybody. I'm going to read real quick from left to right. So we have six kids. Um, that's my son, from left to right, that's my son, Reese, my son, Connor, his wife, Bridget, um, down low is Riley with uh, Rio and Luke and Tripp. And then above Rio is Emily. That's Moses's wife. I mean, I'm sorry, Michael's wife. He's there with the, with the uh, then Laura, uh, Gracie in front of me, I'm in the back, and then Davis on the far right. So there's a lot to keep up with. Hopefully you'll get a chance to meet some of them over. Most of them don't live here in town, but uh, just wanted you to meet them and see them. Um, <clears throat> you know, when Andy asked me um, to uh, preach here, which I was excited about, he said, you can just pick a text that is close in the series of, of where we are at with our journey through Scripture, where our readings are at. Um, so I had a chance to have a wide scope there to look at, and I was excited to see that 2 Corinthians 5 is following in the same time sequence, and I wanted to read from that for two main reasons. One, 2 Corinthians 5.17 um, that we read about being new creatures in Christ was one of the very first scripture texts I ever memorized. I can remember as a small child, there was a handful of verses that um, people were trying to help me memorize, parents, Sunday school teachers, and this was one of them, um, and I've enjoyed it. It served me well for a long time. But I want to confess this morning that one of the primary ways I have applied that verse is not the primary context in which this verse is given or the point in which it's primarily given in this text. So this has been a refresher to me. Um, so I need this sermon as much as anybody here this morning. Uh, we'll unpackage that a little bit later, but I wanted to just say that right off the bat. But secondly, as the pastor of Engaging the World here at Mitchell Road, um, this text is very important because it helps us understand about what it means, uh, or at least the challenge, to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Um, to be faithful to the Great Commission, um, to be able to be truly engaging the world around us, not just in Greenville, but literally around the globe. And what that might look like. So I'm excited for that opportunity. Well, verse 17, um, which I've already referred to, talks about being a new creation. That um, understands or makes the assumption that there was an old 
position. There was an old creation. There was an old place or type that we were at. So I want to begin with that this morning, looking at what was that old position that we were in. The scriptures can explain it in lots of ways. One of the ways I think it does is point number one this morning. There is a life that feels like life, but is really death. There is a life that feels like life, but is really death. Look at verse 15. It tells us a little bit about that old way of living. It says, And he died for all, that those who might no longer live for themselves. The precondition the, before the new creation was a living for ourselves. Um, Proverbs will pick up on this in chapter 14, Proverbs 14, verse 12. Um, this verse, it's actually a scary verse to me. It says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. That should give us all pause here this morning to understand that there is a way that we think is correct. There is a way that we think is spot on. There's a way that makes sense. There's a way that's logical. There's a way that resonates with the world around us. But it's a way that leads to death. Jesus will pick up and speak about that idea several times himself. In Matthew 10, he says this. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Few chapters later in chapter 17, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever should lose his life will lose it. I'm sorry, whoever should save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is a life that feels like life, but is really death. You know, it's interesting, they've done studies on, on the human brain and the way that we think and process, and psychiatrists have come up with an idea or a thing they call motivated reasoning. Motivated reasoning is trying to make some ideas win and trying to make some ideas lose. Something we all do. Um, I've seen it played out recently on the basketball court, um, seeing that one side of the auditorium thinks that that referee was, made a great call. And the other side of the auditorium is like, that was a terrible call. Right? There, is a, there is a preconceived notion and idea, and, all, and each side has its reasons for why it was great, why it was terrible. It happens in the political season everywhere. Everybody has a reason for why their candidate or position is right, another one is wrong. But we, the whole idea here is picking up on something that the Scripture has said all along is true, that we have a preconceived notion of truth, of understanding of truth that we believe is spot on. But the problem is sin has tainted everything to do with us since the fall. That human depravity is a very real thing that affects us, and it is like a fish swimming in water. We don't realize that we're in it. We don't see it any longer because it's an entire environment. It's in our hearts and in our minds with us. We are oriented to a truth that has been deeply affected by sin, and we don't realize it initially. We are born wired to ultimately and primarily live for ourselves. It's who we are. Well, there are two primary ways that this expresses itself, and we just want to unpackage that briefly here, how that plays out. Um, Jesus does a great job in explaining this in the parable of the two sons, or often called the prodigal son story, where you know there's two sons in this story. Um, Tim Keller does a great job in Prodigal God book unpackaging this. Um, so if you haven't read that, I'd recommend that to you. But he talks about the younger son of how this plays out. It's a religious expression. It's self-discovery is the ultimate goal. Remember that younger son branches out. He wants to get away from the father. He wants to get away from everything he knows and find real meaning of life. He believes a gospel that nothing can be wrong if it leads to satisfaction 
or fulfillment of one's greatest desires, whatever that might be. But the results, feelings of emptiness, disillusionedness, incompleteness, and desperate for something more because it doesn't measure up and it never will. There's a life that feels like life, but is really death. Well, as you know, there's another son in that story. There's the older son, the older brother, um, and it has a religious expression. It's self-righteousness is the ultimate goal. It believes a gospel of self-improvement, trying harder, and outwardly appearing to be righteous or godly. But the results? Joylessness. Anger at the father. Judgmental and uncompassionate towards the younger brother. There's a life that feels like life, but is really death. Both sons were pursuing what they thought was real life, but both had experienced actually real death. You know, if you're honest, um, I know if I look back, I tend to vacillate between both of these views at different times. Even the same week, I can find myself in a younger brother position or an older brother position. Probably most of my life, um, having grown up with um, Christian parents and in the church, uh, the younger brother um, is much more of a connection for me as a whole. But find yourself in those representations and understand that there is a default way that we have because of sin, depravity in us, that lends us towards believing that we're really finding life when it's really just the opposite. But there is good news, according to this text and throughout Scripture. The good news in verse 15 says this, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And remember Jesus' words, too, in those passages I quoted. Jesus says that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So just as there is a life that feels like life but is really death, point number two this morning, there is a life that feels like death but is really life. There's a life that feels like death but is really life. You see, death is not an option for the follower of Jesus Christ. It is the path for every follower of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some translations say compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all have died. You see, Christ's invitation to trust him in his death is also an invitation to join him in his death. Dying to ourselves, dying to a sinful nature, dying um, to a uh, irreligious Desire of self-discovery. Dying to a religious desire of self-righteousness. It's a call to die to that. To repent of that. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians 2 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. There is a life that feels like death, but really is life. You see, death is important um, in Christ because without there being a death, there is never a resurrection. There's never new life in Christ, which takes us back to that verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Jesus lived a life that led to death, so we could die a death that leads to life. Let me say that again. Jesus lived a life that led to death so that we could die a death that leads to life. All right, here's 
unpackaging my confession. Most of my life, I've understood this verse 17 as referring to this old passing away and the new has come as really just looking at it as, wow, um, my, my sin, my, my brokenness has passed away because I've been forgiven. I've been fully forgiven. I've been justified in Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his, his good works, and he sees me now as a son. He sees me as holy and righteous. And that is very true. There's nothing untrue about that. But notice the context of this section they're reading in. That's not the primary application that the Apostle Paul is even trying to make here. Because he'll go on and unpackage that. It is being set free, a new creation set free from the old ways of living. Whether it's irreligious or religious. But it must be died to for a new purpose and a new mission. Yes, forgiveness and justification is a big part of the deal. And it's a foundation for it to be laid on. But what is to be done as a result of that is to live on a new mission. Live with a new assignment. Live with a new orientation that's no longer with self at the center, but God at the center. See, that part was not nearly as popular to me as a child or as a teenager growing up. I was good with some, for, with some forgiveness because I had lots of needs for that. But reorienting my life around him as a student or as a young man in college or even over the last 30 years as a pastor, totally reorienting my life around him has taken daily dying to myself and learning how to do that more and more. It does not come naturally for me. Uh, this is a life that feels, because there is a life that feels like death, but is really life. And the Apostle Paul unpackages this in verse 18 through 20. He tells us what this new life looks like. Um, he says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, our mission is to carry on the ministry of reconciliation that Jesus began on earth and as his ambassadors to do that, empowered by his Holy Spirit. Now imagine the idea of being an ambassador, an ambassador who doesn't speak. But an ambassador who says, okay, I'll go represent my country in another country, and I'm just going to model what it looks like to be a good member for my country. I'm going to model the diplomacy or the practices or the positions on this state of affairs from our country um, and hope that the country I'm in picks up on that, sees that, understands that, um, and knows how to interact with that. That ambassador is not going to have his or her job very long. Because the ambassador must actually speak on behalf, must actually share a message, must give the viewpoints, not theirs, not their ideas, but that of the country or the person they represent. How many times have we in our Christian faith and experience used the same kind of ideology? Well, I'm living faithfully for Christ, and so therefore my unchurched, non-Christian neighbors, friends, co-workers, classmates, they're going to see the difference in my life and one day they'll come and ask me what the difference is. And I'll tell them about Jesus, which does happen sometimes. It's a beautiful thing. And it's very, very important for us to be living a life that's in accordance with a life that we're proclaiming. But there is a desperate need for us to to carry the message and to send it to the world around us because we are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ to share not our message, but that message. What gives me confidence this morning as a pastor preaching a sermon 
I'm not giving you my message. Lord willing, I'm giving you God's message. And there is peace and there is joy in that for me. And I can be free of it. It's not on me if I'm faithful to preach God's word. We, have, we can wake up on a Monday morning. We can wake up tomorrow morning with the same kind of peace knowing that we're going forth to be faithful to the message that God has given to us that's changed our lives and to share it with those around us. Not just in action, but in word. Just as Jesus did. Because that is what the Spirit is up to inside of us that we are controlled and led by His Spirit. is to do the exact same things that Jesus was doing. So I want to give you two main applications this morning um, to kind of drive this home. One is this. Clarify your mission that you are an ambassador of Christ. Clarify that. That it's not your side hustle. Okay? And let me share that I do have a side hustle. I don't get paid for it. Wish I did. Um, but I am a top contributor. Yes, you're looking at a top contributor for TripAdvisor. Right here. <laughs> kind of proud of that um, fact there. Um, uh, years ago, I started using TripAdvisor, you know, the little online tool there. It was helpful to kind of find out what's a good restaurant, if you're traveling, where would you want to stay, what would you want to see, and so on. And I thought, I can do this. So I started being a contributor, being a part of that. And I felt really good about it because I'm like, hey, it's helped me. I'm helping other people. And soon people were like liking my things I was saying. And uh, TripAdvisor started sending me things in the mail. I got like little, my own little tag thing that says TripAdvisor on my bag, all kinds of stuff. And I thought, and this is going pretty well. And I felt pretty good about it. And I think I was honestly helping others and doing a good thing. Uh, but it was, the, it was a side hustle. I did it when I could, and I did it when it was easy, and I did it when it uh, made sense, and I felt pretty good about it. You know, being an ambassador for Jesus Christ can often feel just like that to me. And maybe to you too. That when there's a good time, when there's a good opportunity, you feel pretty good about saying something, inviting somebody to something. Maybe sharing a little bit about your faith in a certain area. But it's the side thing. It's when I have time. It's when I think about it. But that is very much a different viewpoint than what it means to be an ambassador. An ambassador is somebody that lives not in their home country, but lives somewhere else as a foreigner, but lives on behalf of the country, the person, the president, the king that they're representing. It's a very different orientation. So if you're a dentist, you're not. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ who just happens to do dentistry. If you're a homemaker, you're not. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ who just happens to work from home. If you're a student, kids, you'll be glad to hear this. You're not, maybe. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ who just happens to spend seven, eight hours a day in class. If you're a businesswoman, if you're a businessman, you're really not. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ who just happens to be a businesswoman or a businessman. If you're a pastor, you're not. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ that just happens to be a pastor. It's a complete different orientation. Um, it affects even things like the priority of our prayers. Um, we're no longer praying for God to bless our homes, to bless our businesses, to bless our families, but we're praying that those things would be a blessing to Him for His kingdom purposes, for His will. It's a total reorientation. The scriptures are clear on this that we die to our former ways and orientation so that we can live to this new call as followers of Jesus Christ, continuing the good works that Jesus prepared in advance for us to walk in, doing even greater things than he did because he goes to the Father and he's going to pour out his spirit on us and around the world on all believers in his church, praying and bringing the kingdom of God and will on earth as it is in heaven. That is the way Jesus taught us to pray. So let me ask you this morning, how will you remind yourself of this truth? that you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ.
One great way is one that you're already doing, I hope. Uh, I was excited when we came to Mitchell Road just a few months ago to hear that you guys have been reading through the Bible in a year. What a great way to get the historical redemptive story all in one year of what God has done and how he's revealed it in his word. Because that will definitely remind you and tell you how important your role as an ambassador is in him. So spending time in that, in his word, and I hope that continues on way past December 31st for us as a church, but spending time in prayer on that. Ray Cortez, a couple months ago at the Christian Life Conference, challenged all of us to have a mission statement. That really hit me because uh, as a pastor for 30 plus years, I thought, you know, I don't really have it written out. You could ask me my mission statement, and I would tell you something that sounded probably pretty good, but did I have one written out that was thought through, was concise, that was narrowed? Um, no, I didn't. I do now. I've been working on it for the last couple of months. Because I do want it in my car when I wake up in the morning. I do want it to pop up on my phone. What are ways that you're going to remind yourself of who you are and what God has called you to do? You're going to need a community of people to do that. You're going to need friends and family and a good church that's reminding you that's also trying to do the same thing. You're not going to do this alone. It's not a solo game. It's a body of believers that are seeking to do this. And you're also going to need one other important thing, which is the second application. You need to grow in missional living. You need to grow in missional living. That's the second application. A friend of mine um, bought two trees at the same time from the same store, planted them in his yard the same day in the same way, but one was planted near the house where the irrigation system hit it, and one was planted a little farther away where the irrigation system of the house did not hit it. Well, as weeks went on, nothing really was noticeably different. But as months went on, there was a clear difference. As one tree, as you can imagine, was growing a little stronger and a little healthier than the other. And over the course of several years, one tree began to double the size of the other tree. Not only in its actual size, but in its leaves and fruit and production. Don't underestimate the power of daily incremental obedience to Jesus Christ. To be in his word, to be in prayer, to take steps of faith, which is what I'm going to challenge you to with missional living, um, to step out and to trust God to work in and through you on a regular basis in some of the most simple of ways. Because over time, God will continue and do a work in you um, and we will see growth. We need to grow in missional living. My main job as pastor of engaging the world is to help Mitchell Road so that we can better understand what our mission statement is and to not just know it, but to live it out. And our mission statement is, or begins with, to know Christ and, one more time, to know Christ and to make him known. I appreciated uh, in a staff uh, planning day, um, Andy Lewis was really candid and honest. He said, you know, I think we're doing a really pretty good job on knowing Christ but I feel like we're really much weaker on the making him known part. And I appreciated him just sharing honestly about that because I thought, yeah, if that's the case, we got work to do. I've got work to do that I need done in me with it. And, we, and here's something I really honestly believe. We cannot accurately know Christ without our hearts being moved by the same things that broke his heart. Without our hearts being moved by the same things that moved his heart. We will never know Christ in a way that we weep like Jesus wept or rejoice like Jesus rejoiced or rebuked and corrected as Jesus corrected. We will not know him 
unless we are walking faithfully to the mission that he's given us. So as you hear um, our Engaging the World Department talk about this idea of missional living, which we've already started, we'll do a lot more, I want you to know where it's rooted in passages of Scripture like this, but all throughout Scripture. Missional living, um, I want to give you, a, a, I think, a simple definition of what we mean by it in a simple way. Missional living is a growing love for the things that God loves. A growing love for the things that God loves. And what does he love most? He loves his glory, his kingdom, because they are eternal and they've existed since the beginning, before the beginning of time and will never fade. God loves people because they're made in his image, but he loves his lost sheep in particular that he wants to bring back into his fold. And he has a church that he's raising up. Missional living is a growing life for the things that God loves. So how can we start doing that Some practical steps? One, let me just encourage you, begin praying, asking God to give you a growing love for the things that he loves. Begin acknowledging that that is an area that you can grow that's weak and ask him to impart that by his spirit. Because you know what? His spirit wants to do that. I think most of us will say, yes, we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit up to? He is up to everything Jesus was up to and continuing that through you and through me. That is what he's up to. So when you pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you, you're praying that you will be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That you will be serving the ministry of reconciliation just as Jesus started it and plans to continue it through his church. Another thing you could take advantage of is that uh, Becky Hecht in our department put together a missional living advent calendar. Um, It was in the newsletter this past week. It's going to be on the advent page um, uh, here this week. But just a place that gives you 24 ideas of how you can be intentional in living missionally. Just some, just some ways to start thinking about that. And one simple way can be simply some of these, like the concert this afternoon or coming up, is actually inviting an unchurched, a non-Christian friend to come and be a part of that. And don't just invite them to come hear some, some nice Christmas music done really well, and, um, but, but share your story. Go grab coffee with them afterwards or dessert and say, you know that one song? I love that one Christmas hymn song because it talks about such and such. And that's kind of my story. And then share them a little bit about your story. That begins to be how missional living begins to look out and play out. Is that we see the, we have a heart for the people that God has a heart for. And we've got to move to be his ambassador and be faithful to that. But that will give you some ideas that could be helpful. Another thing is our missional living conference, which is what we're calling it now, coming up on February 24th through 26th. Um, you know, know that as we've been doing it for decades here at this church. But come and be a part of that and make it a high priority. And as we unpackage what that looks like, we're going we're to challenge you. You're going to be invited to come as an ambassador, not as a member of Mitchell Road Church or even a guest, as an ambassador. Because if you are in Jesus Christ, that is your true identity. That is who you are. So, yes, our missionaries from around the world, we have 20 or so that are going to be here. They're ambassadors. But guess what? You are too. It'll be a gathering of ambassadors trying to figure out what does missional living look like for us as a church and in this community. And how, how can we respond to that? It's going to be an exciting, amazing journey for us. But it is going to be scary. Let me just be honest with you. It is going to pull you out of your comfort zone. It's going to require you to trust God and pray in ways that you never have before. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Because God's Spirit is going to do what God's Spirit does. He's going to glorify the Son. He's going to equip and empower His church to be the real body of Christ. The hands, the feet of Jesus, the mouth of Jesus. 
It's going to be an amazing journey. I'm excited for us to be a part of it. Pray with me. Father, as we realize that or we are refreshed,